right, guys, we are back to the 443 podcast. Reese, I think all the games this week were pretty equal, so I think we should just go in order, like you told me earlier. Yes, sir. Love the football uh, this weekend. Uh, Wagwan, my friends, uh, welcome to another 443 podcast. We're jumping right into it. Arsenal at home, defeating Crystal Palace 5-0 to start the Saturday slate. Matt, lots of uh, discussion to be made here. What were your thoughts on the game? So in the overall picture this weekend, I'm going to start there. This seemed like the only time the two teams didn't have a plan. Because when you look at all the games, even though some didn't go the the losing team's way, they had a plan. This didn't look like Crystal Palace had a plan at all. And that it colors my the three viewpoints I have of this game. Yeah. Now, uh, I put in my notes here before the game started. I said, no, Elise, Palace may lack some creativity in the final third. And it looked like they lacked some creativity in the final third a lot uh, <laughs> yes, of the game. Did. And you guys came out of the gate, uh, you know, like you were playing how you started the game against Liverpool uh, a couple months ago in the Premier League match as well, where you're cutting through them like butter. You get into the final third. You have a lot of chances. Set pieces. Exactly. And we'll get into that in a moment. But with Palace, uh, I want to touch base with Palace. The way they came out um, on ESPN, they had it as a 3-5-3, but it was actually a 5-4-1 uh, when they were out, out of possession against you guys and you guys were playing in your own half. And then once you guys were got into the final third, that's when they pretty much closed down shop and went into a low block. And we get into that first goal where they concede a corner. And I texted you yesterday. I said, death taxes and a set-piece yep. goal by the goons. And, and you guys deliver again. What were your thoughts on that? So the f- the first two, I was just like, I think you and me texted at the half that you weren't impressed by what we saw. Yeah. I think I'm going to lump both these goals together yeah, for this fair. discussion because to me it was a two-half game. And, and Gabriel got robbed for that second game. Yeah, that he should have got. It, it should have been, been a brace. brace. It should have been a brace. I'm with you. But go ahead. Go this this should have been a goalie error and a brace. But um, – <laughs> This, to me, reminded me of the Arsenal we'd seen all season, like you said, where I was just like, yeah, they're just papering over the cracks. They're they're just scoring from set pieces. Yeah. Um, that's So that's the middle perspective. The first perspective of me in this game was, oh, my goodness, we won 5-0. This is awesome. Yeah, of course. And then the other one was, ah, Arteta didn't fix any of the mistakes. We're still just scoring from set pieces. The big man getting lobbed in the box and hitting it in. Yep. We need to score from open play. Yeah. And But then... A third group of Matt delegates appear in my brain because the third, second half is much different than the first half. For sure. Night and day. And jumping into the second half, uh, you guys were, again, coming out of the gates firing, but a lot more clinical. And I think it was because Palace had to open up and try to, to attack to, to make a comeback. But when you guys, when you, when a team opens up against this Arsenal side and, and they give you opportunity to do transition play, you guys are pretty much unbeatable. And that's the thing that I missed. That's where the third group comes in because we would not be what you call a counterattacking team this season. Mm-hmm. We had bits and pieces of it last year, but Arsenal is not what you. If you rank the counterattacking teams, I'm pretty sure Arsenal will be in the bot in the relegation zone. Yeah, because you guys dominate possession. That's what you guys mm-hmm. have been known for this. And season. there was a new tool in the jukebox. So the third group of mats is like. This is cool. We have a new tool in the toolbox. I just don't know if any other team will be, and I mean no respect, disrespect to Roy yep. and Crystal Palace because I still like you guys. Stupid enough to do that to Arsenal. Yeah. <laughs> and and again, uh, with we'll get into Roy Hodgson towards the end of the game as well because oh, it was seen. Roy, man. Yeah, but we'll, we'll get into that. But I have I have I'm gonna I'm gonna lay out my thought process with this Arsenal do it to team, kind of like how we did with United a couple weeks mm-hmm. ago. So. A lot of enlighten me, sir. Yes, a lot of Arsenal fans have been calling for a striker, uh, particularly Ivan Tony. Um, 
you know, as, as the main guy that everybody wants. We'll get into him next game. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and uh, I don't think the need is necessarily a striker. Uh, I think the need is still that left eight position uh, oh. that from Xhaka. One thing that Xhaka did so well, along with being defensively always working back, is he was so creative in the final third for you guys. And whoever has been playing that left eight position, for example, it's been Kai Havertz more as like a late arriving striker. He's not going to be the guy that's going to that has been creative as much as Jacques has been the, uh, last season. Could we also say that with um, Timber and um, well, pretty much anybody because you guys and Partey out that we're also and Zinchenko spotty we're lacking our four progressors exactly. and now we replaced J- um, Jacques with uh, a, a late smasher striker instead of having that. So basically. We have one of our three main progressors yep. in the team regular, semi-regularly, and that's about it. Yeah, so that's that's sort of one of the options is mm-hmm. maybe look for a replacement left aid instead of going all out for a big $100 million signing this this window. I don't want a $100 million signing. <laughs> I want some winger cover. I want what they were trying to do last year with Modric. I think we need a winger. Okay. Um, we need what we saw Liverpool pull off later, and what City does is we need more reliable pieces in the attack. But... To be honest, I think... But I think you are right that after that, but to get a reliable eight, I think you're going to spend more than I think we could get. Yeah, we need to. and with that reliable eight, I think it's taken a lot of the pressure off of Odegaard and Saka in particular because I feel like with all... That we've been kind of saying where has Saka been all season? No, because he's been good, but he hasn't been up to the Saka standards that we're used mm-hmm. to. But I think if you add that left eight who can provide uh, stability and balance the actual team... I think you guys take the pressure off Sokka. You rely less on Odegaard, who can more be more into the box. and yeah, being be what the team was last year. Right. So that's one option, right? I'm going to go to the other side, and let's say you guys do sign Ivan Tony. So what makes Ivan Tony interesting is, and we'll get into what he contributed in this Brentford game, is he is so good at um, uh, being a false, uh, a false, a false nine. Sorry. So what he does is he will basically step into that eight position when you guys are attacking, and he can play that long ball, let Odegaard get in the box, let Jesus maybe get into the box if, if there's some way that he fits into the team or whoever that left eight is to be the, the guy arriving in the box and Tony drops out. So there's really, I think it mainly comes down to the lack of cre- creativity specifically on the left side of the field because you guys are either relying on Martinelli's pace and beating his man or you're relying on Sokka and Odegaard to be their man or make a play in that final third. Kai Havertz is basically playing as a second striker, and I think that's kind of, although he's been fantastic, in my opinion, with you guys lately, especially we've been giving him praise a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago in December in particular. And he set up a lot of, he was, mm-hmm. his mobility set up a lot of stuff in this game. Exactly. but I, Like I, he drew yeah. people away For sure. from where they needed to be. But if you go against like a tough low block team like West Ham, for example, it'll be hard to score against those types and of teams. Arsenal plays them in three games from now. Gotcha. So I, I, I think it's interesting that the need is for a, a striker like Ivan Tony. I think you guys can use him. But it's at, at one point, is $100 million going to be too much for for that t- type of delivery? We'll, we'll cover that when we talk, Ivan Tony. I have okay. some opinions, and I have a question for you on him um, Perfect. on the next game. But I don't want to get into that right yeah. now. Now, uh, let's go ahead and go to the other side with Palace. Um, of course, Martinelli has two goals in like the span of two minutes, base, not even two minutes. Me and my brother thought the second goal was a replay of the first <laughs> goal. It was basically identical. Yeah, because we were like, yeah. he was... 
saying something about like we've been putting money into our house and he was going over something that needed to be fixed to add to the list. And we turn around and Martin already scores again. And it looked just like the first goal. So you didn't celebrate really? We didn't celebrate. And then the score went up and he's like, I think you did it twice. <laughs> and, and I'm like, he did. <laughs> and uh, I thought Palace, um, they played well in the first half, but those set pieces killed them. Like I said, they had to open up in the second half for you guys, which, you know, again, will kill them. And, we go to the end of the game and Roy Hodgson's looking on to his away side and there's these signs that are placed up, uh, basically advising that there's no direction. I felt insulted by one of them, sir. Yeah, no direction, no stability. Um, do you think Roy Hodgson's time is coming to, to a close here at, at Palace? I th- well, he's going to retire at the end of the season. I don't know if they're going to give him the sack. I hope they don't because I don't think Roy's doing anything... I feel yeah, like if you're just... if 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 you came into the season as a Palace fan, I think they're right where you would expect him to be, and that's mid table, you know, mm-hmm. that eleventh through fifteenth range. And but they see all their neighbors, and now West Ham's moving up, mm-hmm. and they want to be Brentford's moving up. Villa's skyrocketed. Well, Villa's not their neighbor. I'm talking about the London clubs. Oh, gotcha. Oh, you're talking about yeah. geographic geographic neighbors. Gotcha. <laughs> Um, Arsenal has always been up there, and then Chelsea came out of nowhere. Spurs have, and West Ham have pulled themselves up by their bootstraps to get up to that, you know, level where they're selling players for hundred million pounds. And I think they're just feeling left out because, uh, like, there are other London clubs that they're the lowest of the Premier League clubs, and they have a couple. Excuse me, guys, uh, a couple bright spots. Um, I think Mateto, their striker. Mm-hmm. I think he's actually a really good player. Um, I think he is a Premier League level player with potential. And they also have, of course, Elise and Eze as well. So they have potential. Everything is just coming down from everywhere behind them. So I think their defense needs a complete revamp. But the other thing I was going to ask you is, so you have some connection to the the character who's in the stands overseeing Roy's, like, emasculation (laughs) um, in Graham Potter. Do you think Graham Potter will be the coach? Because now he's going to... Brighton, one of their biggest rivals, if he goes to Crystal Palace. Not only has he spat in the face by going to Chelsea, but now he's coming back in one of the the most bitter rivals. All the goals fans will be like, Potter, you know, give him the Malfoy Mm -hmm. type of uh, (laughs) pronunciation. Uh, Yeah, man, I think if they do bring him in, it is with uh, the mentality that they are going to be changing their whole direction of the club. So that may be considering offloading midfield and defense because... Like we said, uh, outside of their, their attack is solid. They have, good, they have a solid attack. And, with I potential. Mean, it's everything behind them, I think, that they, needs to be worked. They have Mark Gehu, Gehi, who um, is a solid center back, but it seems like he hasn't been uh, the one to revamp that defense. And Chris Richard looks hor- played horrible yesterday as well. And Nathaniel Klein can't play across to save his life. So they well, need stability. I hope Palace stay up. Sorry, so I don't forget this point. I've been listening to some podcasts um and Arsenal podcasters, Manchester United podcasters, and Liverpool podcasters have all basically wanted to carve up this Crystal Palace offense yeah. and take different pieces from it. Yeah, I mean, um, if if you're a club and and you're looking for that a Goldbridge guy has been like say one Olise. <laughs> yeah, Olise is a uh, a true right winger, and I think a lot of clubs should be in for a guy like Olise. And Eze with is a more of a, a high ceiling potential type of player where. If As you, is the one Arsenal fans want. Yeah. And Liverpool want Mateta. Gotcha. 
I mean, Matetsa, like I think, is is a legit player. It just, just depends on what system he would fit in where he could. The play. other one that uh, Arsenal fans have been throwing is they want Solanke, your 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 hero. Yeah, the archer. Uh, we'll get into him a little bit later as well. But, but what were your final thoughts on this game, man? Because you know yeah. my final thoughts. I already kind of covered him. I'm on the three yeah. minds on it. Arsenal. Uh, I'm not convinced uh, with the performances and open play. Uh, I think you guys are comfortably the best set team since Vietnam, set piece team since Vietnam, um, and for Palace. Uh, I'm worried in the sense, uh, um, you know, for the fans, man. Uh, I don't want them to get too tough on Hodgson because he's been a long-time servant of this club in, in different he's, spurts. He's your grandpa, man. I just, I mean, he's already yeah. leaving, and he's only got 18 games left. Now let's let's do him justice, though, or let's give the fans some. Uh, perspective as well as their perspective is he's made a lot of comments in pre in press conferences uh, pre-game uh, before the Arsenal game and I think that kind of rubbed the fans along uh, the wrong way uh, saying that they don't have any stability or, or direction mm-hmm. and when you're a manager saying that you are the, supposed to be the guy driving yeah. that voice for the fans and and being the leader on the pitch as well so um, I, I, I sympathize for both sides because Hodgson is just a nice old man who 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 is, is going to be close to the end who of his career. really seems like a nice old man. Not yeah. like a nice old man who's going to like say horrible things about women and minorities exactly. as soon as you get them all. Uh, but yeah, credit to Arsenal. I think it was a much-needed win off the back of three consecutive just defeats in general. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Palace will have to and see. And a rough seven games in general. Yeah, and we'll have to see what Palace is like going forward and, and the direction they're taking. But that's my perspective on it. Was, it was like I expected that they should win this three or five to nil. Yeah. They had to make a statement. And they had to make a statement. They did, but next up is a way to Nottingham Forest. Mm -hmm. We'll preview that next week because it's not going to be for almost two weeks. Two weeks. So but um yeah, that's the one where and then they have our Liverpool at the Emirates and then they're away to West Ham at the London Stadium. Two warm ups for two major matches that could see where Arsenal sits yeah. in, rel- in relative to the vast. It's going to determine if they're the next at, part of the season. Yeah, if it's going to determine if they're in a title race or a top four, yeah. top four race. The West Ham game and the Liverpool game are pivotal, but they have to win these two games. They got one of the two going into it, and then they can see where they're at. Because I think the rhythm for Liverpool and Arsenal the, for the last two seasons has been both teams win at home and they draw away. Um, let's go ahead and go jump into the next game here, guys. We have an at-home game of the weekend, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you. Uh, Brentford at home defeating Nottingham Forest 3-2. to two. Matt, uh, we're, we're going to go in-depth in this game, but what were your initial thoughts? This, to me, was a tactical masterclass, and we discussed this on text. Both managers came with a plan, and both plans were executed flawlessly. Unfortunately, I think that there were some shenanigans that gave Brentford the win, I'm agreeing with Robbie Musto, not Robert Earl in this. Well, we'll go, we'll go, yeah. we'll get into that. Okay, so let's get into that. But I want to get into the first goal uh, because I think this is what really set the tone for the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, that first Forest goal, Janelle, uh, their midfielder for Brentford, could not Daniel clear Leo. the line. He tried clearing it like three times, and then the ball just fell right into Delino's uh, range of a volley, yep. and it was a perfect strike. Uh, three minutes into the game, so I'm thinking at this point, I man. I thought Thomas Frank was an aneurysm about that. Yeah, and and I'm thinking like if they're making this type of error this early, Brentford might actually be a team we should be worried about going forward. But Thomas Frank, as you just mentioned, a a a, a solid manager with with a clear idea, and you can see the patterns of play from both sides. Mm-hmm. So I give credit to both managers in this game. Nuno um, and um, Frank exactly. both came to win this game. Their, their patterns of play were perfect, um, and I thought Nuno's, uh, Nuno's uh, attacking formula especially mm-hmm. were, were pretty fun to watch with Brentford's high line. I didn't. I had yeah. no clue who was going to win this game. So 
let's go ahead and jump into the free kick, which was, uh, uh, of course, inevitably Ivan Tony. Uh, it just had to be. I was in a Target, but I was watching it on my phone. I looked like one of those guys in a Target walking around with his phone. Like, did I, you have an earbud in? No, no, no sound. Oh, oh so no I, sound. I originally okay. did you, not. You were brave, sir. Yeah, I, I, I had to turn down. Yeah, yeah. So I, I originally did not see the ball get moved or anything like that. What I saw was the defender basically jumping inwards. Um, which base I thought opened up that easy uh, Ivan Tony shot. Come halftime, I see the recap and we see Brent uh, Tony not only move the ball once but twice, twice and then kick the phone. Exactly, and I thought something was up, but I didn't know what it was because they kept focusing on the line and not on Tony on the yep. shot. And then Robbie Earl and Musto mm-hmm. dissected it. And Matt Turner was the only one to catch it, and not not the the ref didn't notice the the players that were on the wall didn't even notice. And if you're on the wall, like you are in you direct need to notice, you have to see where the where the line is where that's been drawn up, and you have to notice where Tony's placing the ball for your goalkeeper to set you guys up mm-hmm. to block it. Um, and they made a good point: as Forest have conceded the most uh, goals to uh, free kicks uh, with five this season. Ooh. but it's a little hard and harsh in this circumstance. So just to confirm. Again, guys, we don't know the VAR rules because they're changing every single week. Well, this should have been reviewed, right? It should have been reviewed, but the what must have no, it was Earl Earl said mm-hmm. that they basically left it. They didn't tell the ref that there was a problem. They yeah. saw it and didn't say anything. It was up to him to see it. And I'm like, that's insanity. If you if you see if if you leave your car here. Because it's not working. And I see somebody lift up the hood and put a new battery in it before your charger truck can arrive. If I don't say anything, you're going to be mad at me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, why didn't you stop him, Matt? Well, it's your car. Yeah. It may be parked in front of my house, but that's not my problem. Yeah, and it's uh, it's it's disappointing from 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 the refereeing group that, that had that game. And um, in that circumstance, let's say Tony moves the ball and, and it's reviewed. Should Tony have at least been carded uh, for I doing that? I think it should have been a yellow card because he was yeah. changing where he was allowed to shoot based off the referee's determination. Mm-hmm. He puts the foam down. Ever since that foam's been there, you have to be within the foam. He kicked the foam. If he had just moved the ball, I think it should have been a foul. But yeah. since he kicked the foam, he was trying to hide what he did. Yeah. And that's what eight months of gambling will do to you. It turns you and into a- <laughs> this is why when you're like, every, all the Arsenal fans are I want Tony, I want Tony. You know, if he played for Arsenal, that that's getting him a red. Yeah. If he gets caught. I don't want like a guy who's that shifty. He got banned because he did 200 voting counts. And then his first game back, he wants to be the hero so bad he cheats. Now, although he cheated. We need him, but I don't want him. I, I, although, we, okay, to not want him is a little crazy. To not want him for $100 million, I would understand. If we could get him for 30 or 35 I'd take him in a heartbeat. But 30, he, 30, they want 60 to $100 million. I see. Now, let's go ahead and keep continue. So we, I, I, I saw in the in the recap, uh, because I woke up at 3.30 in the morning, so I was kind of like dozing off a I'm little bit. I'm worried about your sleepy schedule, lad. <laughs> I need to get you some sleepy time tea. At this point, I'm committed to, to Premier League football. I'm up in the morning okay. watching them. Uh, just, just check on me if I'm working in the middle of the day. Um, <laughs> in the 30th minute, uh, Brentford had a corner, and they had a volley right off the crossbar that I thought initially went in. And it's like juggling around in between these like three Forest players and Matt Turner, and somehow the ball is cleared. I don't understand how Brentford did not put that opportunity away. I would have been diving in there and just going head first, you know, trying. I would have been to trying get, to get fouled. Exactly, just get getting in uh, through that line. But um, that dog and Matt Turner was busy eating its lunch. <laughs> uh, he worried me in this game, man. 
Yeah, man. Again, it's it, it just seems like there's a lack of confidence, and and he even with his distribution, you can see he does he's not fully confident in his play style either. Now, another set piece comes around with a corner for for Brentford. Ben Mee makes a, a, a someone sets a perfect you know screen for for Ben Mee mm-hmm. to uh, run front post. Plus the one where he comes out right out of it and gets yeah. it in there. Yeah, and it was right, he runs right at the front post. Perfect ball in from um, I can't remember his name. Oh, it was from Jensen. Uh, perfect header puts it away. Fours to have a set piece problem overall. It seems like, mm-hmm. and I think Nuno, for as good as he's done, he needs to work on uh, uh, on the practice pitch some set piece plays for them to play against. Do you think that them bringing in a different set piece coach to improve them on defense and offense is going to be affected by this possible? breaking of the uh, financial fair play rules that are coming to place for them in Everton. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. We'll have to see the the FFP charges, but it's a new coaching staff, so I'm sure they've worked on it, but you can't expect too much uh, from Nuno so early in regards to uh, instilling his process. You've seen it open play-wise, his structure. We just have to see if it defensively on set pieces, what they can do. Because Deitch and Arteta have put into their plans, and it took them two seasons to get it to where they're at. Yeah. Especially Arteta, man. One of the best set-piece guys in the world right now. Um, but Everton's been doing well, too. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, we get into the second goal for Forrest. Again, guys, this was a back-and-forth game. You know, punches being thrown. Uh, in Haymakers. Terms, yeah. I, I didn't know who was going to win this until the end. Exactly. I thought Danilo was was great. Along with his goal, for his first goal for Forrest, he made the tackle, which then set up the Callum Hudson-Odoi cross into Chris Wood for the header. Uh, so Danilo is making a name for himself for this Forest side right now in the midfield. So we'll have to keep an eye on him going forward because he was Does he minus. a six or an eight. Uh, I think he was more of an eight today, okay. but he is he has been uh, positionally outstanding. In my I'm opinion. just looking for possible bargains Arsenal could pick up because they need to. I forgot to mention uh, <laughs> quickly back to Arsenal. Oh. One of my theories that I would like to see uh, from an Arteta side, Declan Rice as the left eight and put Georgie back into that six. I want to see if maybe Declan Rice can add that Xhaka option. Jorginho is not ready for a full Oh, he's come back from injury? Yeah, he's... Okay. He remember when he played against Liverpool, they subbed him off. Gotcha. At, um, and brought in um, Emil Smith-Rowe at, I think, 60 or 65. He can't do much more than a half right now. Gotcha. I just want to see Declan Rice in that left eight role, see if maybe he can fill that Jacques Boyd that's been missing. I think he could. I just think that they need more pieces to give different options of this midfield. That's why I think it's a three to four, or sorry, two to three players they're bringing in. Gotcha. And I think they need to explore not going for 60 to 100 million pound guys. You need to find some guys out there you can get for 30 to 40 so you can get one or two of them. Gotcha. And sorry about for that disclaimer, guys. Just yeah. a quick point I wanted to make on yeah. that Arsenal side. So jumping back to the Brentford game, we get into the final goal of the game. And I thought this was an insane turnaround volley from Maupe. Um, or Mupe. As, as His name's Mope, but I'll call him Mopey. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, right off the thigh, turn, volley. I thought it was a great goal in the seven, what was it, like 80th minute, 79th minute? Uh, 68th. 68th minute. Um, and just no response from from, from Forrest. I have, I, have a, I have screenshots, guys, so <laughs> I'm not that good. <laughs> uh, what were your final thoughts on this game? I thought it should have been a draw because of uh, what Tony did. Um, but if any team was going to win it, it was going to be Bees. They looked the team that looked at it. Like if the other, it would be like a 55 45 split on this game on who should have won it. Gotcha. Me, I thought it was 50-50. I thought both teams deserved something. And I thought, uh, you know, in terms of Tony's actions, that's just not cool in the in the game of, of football. 
Um, but it's also worse on the refs because if you can cheat and get away with it, really it's not your fault at the end of the day. Before we move on, can we have a little bit more conversation about Tony? I sent you a video this morning of them playing the Undertaker's theme to welcome back Tony. Brentford seems like a club, and you said this too, that absolutely adores Ivan Tony. And Ivan Tony seems like he just wants to get the heck out of there. Yeah, and this guy in his damn interview is like, oh, I think it's pretty clear I, I want to go and win titles eventually, and, and if whether if it's this window or the next, I'm ready. Like, dude, you just... You You've should been be, gone for six for, months. First of all, you should be thankful that Brentford didn't just cut you and you made no money for the next eight months. Like, if if, if they wanted to, they could have banned you from the team. They could have given you the sporting court of arbitration and gotten their money back and invested in a player that, are two players that could have yeah. used. Yeah, and, and for you, and for him to be named captain to the side, it seems like he he likes his team when he's in front of them, but when he's away from them or on social media, mm-hmm. it seems like he doesn't really care for the Brentford mm-hmm. Bees. So, um Man, I, honestly, I hope he stays, and I hope nobody buys him both windows, just so he's stuck there, just so he can he can realize that he's actually at a, a great club with a great ownership and a team that yeah. appreciates him. A team that also is getting their pieces back from injury, too. I mean, mm-hmm. we saw my friend Nuno Tavares on the pitch today, or yesterday, and I know Arsenal fans think that he should only be sold for two million pounds. Yeah. I think there's a player there that can play at the level of a Brentford and lower and make a good darn contribution to those clubs for sure now uh jumping into the sunday slate here sorry guys. that was a shot at um arsenal fan tv That's <laughs> uh into the sunday slate here guys uh we had another uh a freaking great game uh sheffield united at home drawing west ham um the blades of wilder matt talk to me about them they didn't quit to quote the great philosopher Matthew Turner, they had a dog in him, and he was ready for that fight. I thought they deserved three points. I thought uh, they did too. But West Ham is such a uh, a team that can absorb so much pressure, and then it only takes one counter for them to be clinical. And it happened in both halves where they they, they were against the run of play. They were getting dominated by Sheffield, and all they needed was one counter. You can tell they were missing Kudus. You can tell they were missing Paqueta, mm-hmm. especially Paqueta. I thought he was a huge loss specifically today. Um, first half, I thought uh, McAtee was their best player. Uh, he's, he's a great player, a city loanee out of their academy. So uh, what City are doing right now is just crazy. What were, what were you thinking? But honestly, I, I thought this was Sheffield's game to draw because it looked like they were going to win it. And when Ward-Prowse got that penalty in the 79th minute, yeah. I was just like, I was gutted because like Sheffield had won me over. I mean, you know, I don't, all the London clubs kind of, yeah. irk me except for Crystal Palace and Arsenal but um, yeah man and then I thought Moyes was going to have a like did you see his face when they awarded him that penalty at 90 plus 3 or <laughs> sorry 90 plus 13 Late, latest goal in Premier League history but yeah. let, let's reverse Let's, let's he go. looked like a yeah. guy from those commercials where the old people slip and break their hip like he was falling down the stairs like that shock camera shot they have of them yeah. that's what Moyes looked like I Unlike Roy, I didn't have any sympathy for David in that moment. For sure. And I want to go back to the first goal for Sheffield, the equalizer, because that was the... Um, let me just make sure I got his name. Uh, he's a Vir- Vidal Loney, Viriton Diaz, his first goal uh, for the club. He joined on loan from Virial two weeks ago, um, and he finally made his Premier League debut, and he had the ricochet that was deserved for Sheffield and, and good build-up. So I want to quickly shout him out because yeah. that pretty much shows that they needed some help. They got some investment in January. I know it was just via a loan, but he made an impact right away. 
but in January, I think that's the thing you need. You, you can't do a wholesale like jerry, uh, you know, yep. jerry rigging of your team. You just need you need to have a good squad, and you just need cover. Yeah, like what Arsenal's talking about doing. I'm just like. It's the January window. What players are available and how much did you pay for the January premium? You have no money. You have a goalkeeper on loan. What are you doing? Exactly. And like the way that um, Man United fans are talking too. And I'm just like, what are you guys like? Yeah. Like I know you guys have the second biggest um, revenue stream in the league, but like January is not that. It's like, oh, we had a guy go out on injury. Let's go find a left back on loan for six months to just give us some cover. Exactly. And, you know, going to the other side with West Ham, I thought Danny Ings was the best player on the field today. I thought that was the best game I've seen from Danny Ings since he was at, like, what, uh, Southampton, like, three years ago, four years ago? On that penalty, man, I can't tell if he really tripped or if he acted. It was so good. Like, half of me goes... Oh, it's a dive. And the other half goes, no, no, no. He really got his foot tripped. Get, I, I can't tell if he put some sauce on that burger, but he did something. The, even just right before that, he nutmegged the guy. So he, looked my, like, he, he played out of his mind, uh, in my opinion. Because I'm telling you, he looked like he how he was at Southampton. He was selling ago. like Seth Rollins and Ric Flair blood. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, what were your thoughts Did uh, for the Sheffield pen? Do you think it was a concrete penalty? That's the one I was more 70-30. I didn't think it was a penalty, but I'm glad they got it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's the opposite of the Tony thing with me. I just I was kind of like, eh, they needed it. Because West Ham took their shot, and they got it because Ings got that penalty. But Sheffield deserves something from this game, and they yeah. got it. If West Ham would have walked away with three points, I'm sure Sheffield would have been very displeased if they weren't given that penalty. So um, credit to both sides, uh, specifically to, to Sheffield. Uh, it would have been cool to see them get three points to really just put some pressure on those teams above them uh, mm-hmm. in, reg- in terms Luton of the relegation. And, uh, Burnley. Exactly. So uh, jumping in, jumping into the very last game of the Sunday slate, uh, my cherries uh, lose at home 4-0 to Liverpool. Uh, the first half uh, was not reflecting of the scoreline uh, in terms of what Bournemouth were doing. Uh, I have my notes here in regards to what I specifically thought. Pools were having bulk possession, but were lacking the final ball in that first half. And then Bourne transition, Bourne with transition play and build up solid. They had better chances. Nothing new for my guy Irola. You know they had great patterns of play in that first half in particular. And this is what I was getting at earlier to my point. Mm-hmm. Bournemouth had a plan. Liverpool had a plan. West Ham, Sheffield, Arsenal, and Forest. And you can see their Sheffield, systems. Or all, yeah. Every team had a plan, but Crystal Palace this weekend. Bournemouth shouldn't have lost. This brings me back to the, the the earlier weeks of this podcast when we were both like, how are Bournemouth getting beat this bad when they are playing this well? Because yeah. they they had a plan. They stuck to their game plan, but they just couldn't execute it. I think the points were deserved for Liverpool. But no, not I the, think they should have won the, it, but not 4-0. Yeah, the scoreline did not reflect the true, true type of game. Now, we get into the second half, and the worst time to concede is only a few minutes after the second half, and... Uh, man, credit to Liverpool on this build-up play uh, from the long ball from the right back to the left winger who played left wing today. I'm blanking his name, but then played Jota, who then played Darwin. Uh, so just great one. Oh, it's Curtis Jones that had the chest down to then play Jota, who played a, a one-touch pass to Darwin for a finish. I'll do my quick little song. Darwin, Darwin, Nunez. He silenced his haters. Yes, another, uh, again, he doesn't make it look pretty. He's not the most flashy type of player, but he puts his chances away. What so. I loved is, so Tom was still home for this game, and he goes, 
Oh, he just ran that ball in, didn't he? Yeah. And I go, and then they show it from another angle. He's like, oh, he really did shoot it from distance. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's basically Darwin <laughs> in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, I just love Tom's commentary on the sure. players because he doesn't know them. And he just summed up Darwin Nunez in three, 30 seconds or less. Uh, I think overall Liverpool had a much better second half. I think Klopp probably oh, yeah. I was irate at them at halftime because he knew they were getting overran. Uh, do you know when the subs came in? Uh, no, I do not, okay. but they made an instant impact when they, they did. did. I think that's when, at the 70, 79th minutes, everything turned. Yeah, right on the money, actually. Because I think Gakpo and the German, general from Germany came in at 65. Gakpo and Gravenberg came yeah. on and changed the game. And in terms of uh, before that, I thought Harvey Elliott had a great game, he filled did. in for Sala, but he was not playing as a Sala. He was more of like a support winger, uh, playing runs for a McAllister. And three players, actually. Harvey Elliott, Curtis Jones, again, uh, been, in my opinion, the player of the season so far for Liverpool outside of Salah. And then also Konate, the center back for Liverpool, who had a great long ball uh, to Gakpo, or to Darwin, who then played the through ball to Gakpo. And, this team has got some depth, man. Like, and that's what we talked about a few yeah. weeks ago, is they have options, mm-hmm. and, and they're killer well, with their chances, So too. Salah's out for two games in the African Cup. Mm-hmm. He has to stay if they advance. Do you think he's hurt, or is it just the two games like Egypt is saying? So, uh, Jurgen Klopp said in the pre-press conference, or the pre-game press conference, or maybe post-match, um, that... It if, all starts to blur together, don't it? Yeah, I know. That if uh, Salah is injured, or if he feels something, it's usually something serious. So, I hope it's not serious, because we love seeing Salah play, but um, it does seem like it's actually a true injury, not something they're faking on their end. Yeah. Now, really not too much after that took place. Uh, just straight domination from Darwin Nunez and Diego Jota. Uh, Jota is the best late-game finisher in football, it feels like. Every time post-70th, 80th minute, he's always putting his chances away. He got uh, two goals in under 10. Yeah, and, and specifically the second goal was a straight rocket uh, near post to Neto that he, no one could save in world football because it came off the post. And oh, I think there's one man who could have. Me. Oh, Nana. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but credit to Liverpool. Uh, he, would, he would let in six other goals, but he would have stopped. <laughs> uh, credit to Liverpool. They definitely showed like they are the league leaders this season mm-hmm. and deserving first place. And on that note, uh, Matt, we'll jump into the table before we do our, our, our prediction or go on our break here. And do some stoppage time. Because we don't have any predictions. We already predicted the last game. For sure. And so we'll just do an extra long stoppage time for you guys. Of course. So bottom of the league, uh, Sheffield United with 10 points. Uh, only two points now behind uh, Burnley. So although we just said they could have put some pressure on, they would only be one point or, or they would be tied on points with, um, with Burnley with that win over West Ham. But they are not. Uh, Burnley with 12 points, Luton with 16, still with that game in hand. And all the way to the top four, uh, Villa with 43 points, Arsenal with 43 points, City with 43 points with a game in hand, and sitting comfortably at the top of 48 points is Liverpool. So uh, if City pick up points in two weeks' time, uh, it'll be a very fun title race to, to end the season. So um, on that note, guys, we'll go ahead and take our break. We'll be right back with you. See you guys soon. All right, guys, we are back, and Reese found some news during our break. Reese, hit me. Just as of 10 minutes ago, uh, Fabrizio came out and announced that Mo Salah's returning to Liverpool due to the injury. Uh, so he's going to be doing rehab. Um, if he is fit before the final, then he may go back to AFCON. So it sounds like he will be back. This is only a temporary type of injury, but um, just not fun, man. It, it sucks when, we, when especially uh, players who play for their country have to... Um, you know, suffer an injury blow like that, especially right before the knockout rounds. 
Um, but we, we were hoping for the best for you, uh, Mo, in that regards. Let's go ahead and jump into the segment before our stoppage time, just going over some rumors um, in this regard. Uh, I have a big one here uh, to start us off. So we have Manchester United to name Man City's Omar Barada as the new CEO of the club. So hmm. yeah, a, a sporting director from City is going to join Manchester United. And he was CEO. previously Barcelona, right? Correct. Okay. So uh, crazy. Uh, I'll tell you about that right now. I'd never switch up on my team. Period. Or if I would, I wouldn't go cross town. But he probably just want to change houses. Yeah, that's fair actually. Um, but we're going back to you see the incest a lot in the London clubs. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, like going around. Yeah, I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. I like to it, give maybe you incest is a bad word. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> Uh, we have uh, David Ornstein earlier back uh, back earlier in the week. Chelsea are willing to let Armando Broja leave on a permanent if suitable offer is received. Um, interest from multiple clubs, including Fulham, West Ham, and Wolves, and it's not contingent on signing a replacement. So it sounds like they're ready to move on from uh, Broja. And it's sad because you can tell since his, uh, he came back from his injury, he hasn't been the same player that he previously was. So uh, we hope for the best for him. Uh, next thing here, we have... Is Sir- that going to open up the room for you guys to sign Kareem Benzema? No, nah, well... Maybe that'll be a stoppage time for another time. <laughs> Maybe when he makes a move. But uh, next thing here, guys, with David Ornstein, uh, Sergi- Ser- Sergio Regulon is going to be a Br- uh, Brentford left back. He joined them on loan uh, from Man United for the rest of the season. Uh, we talked about it last week that this would be a good move for Brentford, um, and it seems like they're going to be going through with it. Um, Sevilla reached provisional agreement with Man United to sign your boy Hannibal Medjri on loan. Deal expected to have a buy option of twenty million, including uh, add-ons. So, Matt, I want to quickly hear your thoughts on your boy Hannibal going to Sevilla. He's a good player, man. I got to see this guy live, and he was just everywhere in the game against West Brom for Birmingham City, and. They kept chanting Hannibal the Cannibal because I think they just don't have a lot of There's stuff that you can rhyme, rhyme with, with Hannibal. <laughs> yeah. um, but it was a term of endearment, like yeah. when they, you know. So, but it seems like Sevilla are actually building a project because they've mm-hmm. now loaned or uh, bought two or two or three players now in the window around the age of twenty years old. So something to keep an eye on if you guys are, uh, uh, pay attention to world football or La Liga because yeah. it seems a, like they're building a project. He's now. a classic box-to-box midfield. He reminded me a lot of seeing Aaron Ramsey play live when he was younger. Gotcha. Um, just an engine on the man, young man, and he had no fear. Yeah. But he, everyone could see him coming because he has that poof of hair, and it just announces he's in your in your face. I hope he turns out really good, and then uh, so we activate that by clause so we don't see him at United ever again. You know, Hopefully for the betterment of our respective teams. But real quick on La Liga, I think the, the structure of La Liga is going to change. I think Real Madrid is going to become like a Manchester United, and what's the team that Manchester United or City owned that Genoa or something? Oh, you're talking about the Genoa. The league, you're talking about the league leaders right yeah. now. Oh, Girona. Girona. Yes, uh, the Italian club Girona. They did drop points last weekend, so I think Real Madrid still have the the, the differential on points right now. But it's going to be a fun title race. Um, we have Leverkusen and Barcelona or the new Arsenal. Yeah, and then you got Leverkusen <laughs> over in the Bundesliga having an upset season over Bayern. So a lot of fun football uh, right now going around the world. Um, next, so let's week, get it back to the rumors. Yes, Sorry, to take you off topic there. No worries. Uh, Chelsea announced that they uh, have recalled Cesar Casede uh, back from Leicester. Uh, I love this player personally. Um, I think it kind of takes off the uh, pressure of the other players of them possibly buying a new midfielder. I think he fills into a good off-the-bench role or starting as long as Conor Gallagher isn't playing. 
Um, that's gonna that might does that gonna hurt Leicester in their bid to come up? It seems Southampton like seems to be closing on them in the championship. So they're actually linked with a, a player from Inter as their mm-hmm. possible replacement. Gotcha. So it seems like they got something they can bring in for them. Okay, good for um, them because yeah. it'd be nice to see Leicester back for sure. Um, and then we have Aston Villa who have made an improved offer to sign Morgan Rogers from Middlesbrough, uh, England youth international among players um, who is uh, Unai Emery is keen on. He's 21 years old. And he's, I guess, been firing on all cylinders in, in the league as well for him. So um, I guess he's going to come off the bench, uh, of course. I don't think he's going to make the starting lineup anytime soon. Sorry, guys. Um, but something to keep an eye on because it looks like there's a high potential player there. Uh, next thing here, we have, I'm going to butcher this, Kosta Nedabikovic uh, completes his move to Aston Villa this week, this weekend. Uh, 2000 born, 2005 born right back. So it looks like his impact will be more so for next season or beyond. Uh, but a good move for Villa in terms of their building projects. Uh, we have understand uh, Fabrizio here. Understand Nusa deal will enter into key stages soon as there's new round of talks between Tottenham and Club Bruges, uh, a high prospect uh, winger from Club Bruges. You know what's crazy, man? Tell me why none of these these uh, youth internationals, these youth players, were never covered until Chelsea were buying all of them. You know, I'm just saying. You know, Todd Bully was building this project before any of you guys were. But keep hating on our patron saint. Keep an eye on him. <laughs> um, and then this one, I think, is the biggest rumor of the day, in my opinion. Uh, Kieran Trippier and FC Bayern are in. Uh, uh, there are talks taking place over a permanent transfer. Uh, that so, shocked me, man. Because yeah. I hate to say he's probably been there like third best player he hasn't in the last couple weeks he hasn't been great but he's the captain of the team Mm -hmm. uh so definitely a key player for them so something to definitely keep an eye on um and then one of the last uh things here we have uh al etifak approach uh, approach everton to ask for uh decora as one of their top targets to replace jordan henderson so um i feel like they shouldn't do that because decora has been one of the best everton players since deitch has arrived um Never mind, I got two more for you guys. I apologize. We have Gonzalo Guedes uh, joining Virial from Wolves uh, on a permanent transfer. And we also have a big one here. I think this is a cool story. Uh, Hadjuk split. Confirm. Ivan Perisic has joined on loan from Spurs. He's going to try and help them if he gets healthy in time to help them win the league in Croatia and qualify for Champions League. So I think that's a pretty cool story. Um, I'm happy for Perisic. He's had a great career. It sucks that he's been plagued by injuries at Tottenham. Matt? Let us go ahead and jump into the stoppage time. Would you like me to kick it off? Or kick it off, because mine's a long question oh, that I have for you. No problem. So mine is relating to Mike Mannion, Magic Mike, uh, the goalkeeper for AC Milan, was subject to racism over the weekend. Um, and, hit, and AC Milan defeated Udinese 3-2. to uh, Monkey chants were made at him. Uh, he walked off the pitch temporarily um, for them to suspend the game temporarily, and they came back on and played it out. The FIFA Pro CEO came out and said... Instead of uh, um, you know making arrest or along with making arrest and being more strict on on the fans, let's be more strict on the club. So he came out and said, if teams are subject to racism, or sorry, let me let me make sure I say this right. It, let's say for example, I'm going to try not to butcher this. So let's say the team, the fans who are are subject are being racist to the opposing team, that team. With their fans should be deducted should automatically forfeit that game and suffer a three point differential for that. Um, so let's say you're up one nil. One of your fans is racist towards the opposing player. Game should be forfeited. That team should hold an L in that circumstance. I want to know 
because this has been, uh, it seems like no, nothing has truly uh, ended, uh, uh, been a clear-cut reason to stop racism in football. Personally, I love the idea, but it's the cost of the team that's just going to suck for. What do you thought? What are your thoughts? On I that? agree with you. I think it needs to be punished. I think it should hit the pocketbook instead of the points because I don't think that one fan in the stands. Because who's to say that you can't just give me AC Milan gear, give me a ticket, and then I go in there and hold up a banana? Yeah. Um, I think it should be financial. It should be investigated, mm-hmm. and they should lose the ability to fill their home stand or something like that where the only fans that are there are the opposing team's fans. So you play in an empty stadium with a section cheering you, you yep. lose the revenue, yep. and you still have to get the, the, the taunts. But um, It just sucks because... It, it seems a little... Aggressive. Aggressive. Far-fetched. I, something does need to be done. I, I'm not disputing that. For sure. I don't like constantly hearing these stories as Spain and Italy um, about people getting called monkeys and having banana peels thrown at them. Mm. Um, I and, didn't like it when it happened to who's the young the young man from Manchester City that went over back to Italy. He's Italian. The why is it always me guy? Balotelli. Yeah, Balotelli. I hated when they did that to him. Um, I didn't like Balotelli, but I didn't like the personality. It's not the man's skin color that I don't like. Of course. And he's just a showboater and a spoiled person. <laughs> it's far fetched to to, you know, have a team forfeit a game because obviously they're losing points in that circumstance. Um, but at the same time, man, it seems like if you were to get your ultras to shut up in one way, because it was a whole group of ultras in this Udinese group, I'm really not mad at the idea, honestly, because if, if it's a group of people, I feel like there should be action taken against the team and it, these ultras. It needs some review. It shouldn't be instantaneous. It, sh- it shouldn't just be like, oh, you forfeit. It needs to be reviewed. Yeah, I think that's definitely the, the right path to take. Uh, if it's one person, I don't think you should be deducting. Maybe not a forfeit, but a deduction of points yeah. after the match. Yeah, one it's, or two points. Something. Yeah. yeah, like even if you win and you only get one point, if you drew, you get zero. Yeah, because if if you if you are, lost, you lose a point. Yeah, because if you if you're put in that position uh, as a player, I feel like that would only inspire them to take more action against their own fans. Especially in places like Spain and Italy, where um, fan groups are yeah. tied to more than just the team, where like SS Lazio's fan group has been tied to um, pro Mussolini mm-hmm. fascist groups, yep. and the Roma's fan base has been tied to pro communist groups. So there's more component to it than that that it could you know you know what I mean yeah beyond football beyond football Think like the politics Espanol and Barcelona one's pro Catalonia independence one's unified Spain um, there's more to some of these games in the U S we don't have that because it's not like um, like Steve Kerr and Greg Popovich may come out against racism but other than um, the Milwaukee Bucks standing up for it in the bubble there haven't been teams that have been tied to like. There's not a the Los Angeles Lakers aren't pro California independence. There's not yeah. There's not a political background. There's to not these teams. you know the Atlanta Falcons aren't pro fascist. Yeah, you know what I mean. I gotcha. Um, but I, I, in terms of that, there definitely needs to be some more action taken because it seems like the arrests are just not doing justice. So it uh, needs to affect the clubs yeah. either in the pocketbook or on the the score. If you if you are one point away from winning the title and some guy like. You'd ban that guy for life if that's the guy that cost you. Just like yep. the Chicago Cubs banned that guy who oh, come the on, pitch. Don't do that. Don't do him like that. He didn't mean to. Nah, come on. Uh, but our thoughts are with Magic Mike. Um, 
you know, it's just, it's unfortunate when it happens. I heard it happen in the championship as well. So uh, our thoughts are with those people who are being subject to racism. Matt, let's go on the brighter note here. What is your stoppage time question? So mine's kind of involved. When we cover the end of the table, we cover the top four and the bottom three. Of course. I want to give a little focus to the teams that are in that middle block and see our thoughts on them and where we think they're going to finish. Um, So I'm going to skip Everton because I think they have an asterisk. I'm going to start number 16 with Nottingham Forest. I'm going to let you go first. What are your thoughts on this team with the Nuno changeover? And ultimately, where do you think they're going to finish the season? Yeah, um, definitely much more structure. uh, As Morgan Gibbs-White has said, Anthony Alinga has said since, since Nuno has replaced... Uh, Steve Cooper. So there's definitely a, a better team out of this. Um, if I were to guess, though, where this team were to finish, I don't think it's much higher than they currently are, though. Uh, just with the 15th talent. through 17th? I think, think, yeah, I think the highest they can go is maybe 14th uh, at, at the highest. Um, but they are a solid Premier League mid table club, I would say. Lower mid table club. Lower, yeah, thank okay. you. What about you? I'm with you, man. I don't think they're in relegation danger yeah. um, unless this points deduction. Because if they lose five points and they drop to 15 and drop into the relegation zone or lose 10 like Everton did, yeah. now they're between Burnley and Sheffield. That's scary. Yeah, for sure. Um, especially when they both the teams at 16th and 17th are the ones accused of it. Um, I want Luton to stay up. I don't want Luton to stay up because somebody waited to sell a player. Yeah, and that's the tricky thing with these new FFP rules is what happened with Everton and their points deduction, that was under the uh, previous three-year cycle. Now they're being charged for under this, this cycle, cycle, and it's tricky. So, uh, but what if Everton I... knew it was coming. Yeah, for sure. But yeah. next up, we got at 15th currently right now is Crystal Palace. We discussed them um, in abundance earlier. <laughs> yeah, but what... maybe in... like not yeah. to rehash, but ultimately, where do you think they're going to end up? Because I think we've covered our thoughts on Roy. We've covered our thoughts on the players. This one's more of the ones we did discuss them in depth. So where do you think they'd end up? Do you think they stay at 15th, or do you think they could fall in into the relegation zone? I think a crucial point of it will be the response of their next game. Uh, I don't know who they're playing because uh, we did our predictions you know, previously, and we'll do them next week as well. Um, uh, it's going to be key to see who they play. Um, do you have that pulled up? I'm working on it. I'll get to because if, if, if it's some tough team, man, and, and... They play Sheffield United. Okay, so, and and don't don't sleep on the Blades of Wilder, pal. I'm not. Either. That's why I said with, a like, a trepidation in my voice. If if if, if uh, Sheffield walks away with points, man, I, I'm worried for Rod, uh, Hodgson and Palace as a whole. I think their floor right now is, is right outside relegation. I don't think they go down, but I think they're right at 17th. And I think their maybe ceiling is right where they are at 15th, honestly. I, unless they make a manager team, maybe Potter comes in and he changes things. I see them maybe climbing up to 14th or 13th, but... But if they're going to bring Potter in the next two weeks, they need to bring in some players that Potter can work with on that defense. Exactly. And I don't know if they can do both things at once because they're going to have to pay Roy out his contract. If they just let him leave at the end of the season, then they don't have to pay it out. I mean, it's not a lot of money because he's only got 18 games left, but still. At least get a right back through the door for because I'm tired of seeing Nathaniel Klein or whoever's playing that right back uh, because Tyreek Mitchell is respectable as a left back, Mark Gahey is a respectable center back, and Joachim Anderson, their captain, is a, is a respectable center back. So get him, get him one more additional respectable player, and, and maybe we could see some change in this side. Okay. And then after them, right above them, we have the Bs, a team we actually did cover again. Yeah. So we won't... I'll make this quick. Yeah, we'll make this one quick. You said, what, what place are they right now? They are currently sitting in 14th. Gotcha. So I think their ceiling is is maybe hitting that top 10 spot, right at 10th maybe at the at the highest. 
they lost like six in a row up to this game. Yeah, and I think with Tony back, if he stays this window, which I think all, all signs should point to him staying. I don't think anyone except for Tottenham have the money to go for him. And I don't think Tottenham wants him or needs him. Yeah, Tottenham probably don't want him. But um, yeah, 10th, tenth, tenth, I would say, is, is the ceiling. And, and 10th what, through 14th? Yeah. Okay. Respectable there. I agree mm-hmm. um, so far with you on all these. I do think that there's a 20% chance Palace go down. Yep. Into the where Luton's at in that 18th spot, right? Yeah, um, for that, sure. But that requires in the, that Luton beats them in their game. Everton uh, yeah. continue to win a bit, mm-hmm. and, yep. and that Nottingham and Everton also drop points. For sure. There's a whole bunch of factors, but a lot of math. Um, yeah, but next up we have Fulham, a team that you and me have been confused as all hell about uh, at 13th. And I think you know uh, Andre Silva is is a good manager, um, so I don't think he is the problem with this Fulham side. I think it comes down to quality. Um, I think they stay exactly where they're at. I don't see them going up, uh, moving down or up in the table unless Brentford and, and, and Forrest pick up a lot of points. I think they kind of, you know, play well against the good teams. But 12th lose. through 14th is where I'm looking. I gotcha. Yeah, I'm having them right at where they are at 14th place. That's my They're prediction. 13th, sorry. Oh, 13th, my bad. Yeah. 13th I, and 14th. Well, I think that <laughs> they're probably not good. They're going to stay on this pace for points. Yeah. I just think the other teams around them may elevate or de-elevate their position. Um, simply because of what they do, because a team above them could hit not the best patch because they think they got some rough games coming up. Is Bournemouth at twelfth? Yes. Where uh, do you think they're gonna go? Tough sledding these next couple weeks. Um, but you know, I love my cherries. I don't think they sneak into the top ten. Um, I think they're maybe, especially over these next couple weeks, they'll have some trouble. Uh, I think twelfth through through fourteenth is probably their window as well. I'm thinking eleven through thirteen for them because they are a good team and they do have players coming back from injury before the end of the year. Now they are fit and can make an impact. That's yeah. a one thing. Yeah, for sure. I'm not mad at that pick. And if if Solanke keeps uh, you know bow and arrowing these mother effers, then we we may be looking at a possible fifty to sixty million dollar man in the summer. So we'll see. All right, now we're starting to get to the last spot before the top ten. Wolves eleven. Yeah, and if Wolves... Uh, well, pick they up, play tomorrow. We're yeah. going to be covering them pretty extensively next week. Yeah, I'm going to watch that game at least two to three times. Uh, I'm going to watch it live, and then I usually watch it on Saturday before, right at the end of the evening. Perfect. Um, so it's semi-fresh in my mind, but I don't want to get up early if I don't have to. <laughs> just just for you guys to keep in mind, if Wolves win tomorrow, they are tied on points with Chelsea, who are currently ninth, who are four points away from West Ham, who are in sixth. So... The 6th through uh, 10 spot, 11th spot right now is super, super close. So a lot of key points will be need to picked up, be picked up. Um, I love Wolves, man. Uh, I think their ceiling is maybe right just outside of Europe uh, in general, and I think that's 8th. And I think their floor is right where they're at in, in 11th. So what about you? I think they're just outside the European spots to where they are. Yeah. It just depends on how the lucky they get. And um, Neto is coming back. It, can he fire? Of course. Can he be the uh, lower league Kevin De Bruyne? Of course. And, and again, shout out to Gary O'Neill, man. Uh, exceeded my expectations. Mm-hmm. He's doing a great job with this Wolves team. Got He's got some good players. I hope they don't get picked apart by the teams above them. But sure. I think financial play may stop that. They hold to their guns and keep their guys. But yep. we'll see. And now 10th, a team that is disappointing. Pointed me this season. Newcastle United, 10th place. They got double digits? Oh my gosh. Um, uh, I think it's pretty obvious what our, our points are on our, our Newcastle. Um, Gavin Jules made a good point on Thursday. They said, with all these players that are missing for Newcastle, how many of them are actual starters? You have Jolington, you have Sandra Tonali on his suspension, and you have Nick Pope. All the other guys basically don't start for the team. So with all this talk about how injured Newcastle are. They're really only missing two to three key missing players. 
And but we saw it against Liverpool. They don't have anything in reserve to yeah. turn any tide. When they're tired, they're tired. They're getting run into the ground. Yeah. And, and the break came at a good time for them. Uh, I think they they probably have the biggest floor and ceiling out of all these teams we're about to go over. I think their ceiling is maybe the sixth place spot. Which crazy means they're only at 29 points. Yep. And and, and that's the thing is is their ceiling and floors is so far and <laughs> far and wide that I think their, their ceiling is sixth place and their floor is maybe like 11th interchangeable with mm-hmm. Wolves. So yeah. crazy. And your Blues, ninth place, sitting at 31 points. Yeah, this team still is trying to find its identity um, in terms of how they officially want to play from game to game. Um, we'll have to see what they do in the January window, January window, if they do anything in that regard. But I think their floor is maybe just outside of Europe as well, uh, in eighth place. And I think their ceiling, at most, will maybe be sixth. I don't, th- I don't think they get into the Champions League hyphen Europe- Europa League spot. Do you think spot. they can get Europa Conference? Yeah, I feel like if they don't get into the Europa Conference League, I think Pochettino will have some questions asked from from management because I think that's the minimum is to get into Europe at least. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I I think that 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 sixth place or the Champions League or not Champions League, the Europa League spot is there high. Yeah, because they have a talent, they just don't have a team. Yeah, the identity is is and now hopefully you know we'll have to see what they do against Middlesbrough next week. Um, see if this side this side has some resilience. Um, but they don't. They've been on good form in the Premier League. So would they be a success if they made Europa League and then won the League Cup? I think it's a success if they get into Europe. Trophy or no trophy, I think that would exceed this uh, my expectations from when I thought we were from where we I thought we were uh, back in September, which was not a good yeah. form. So we'll see. And then right above them in eighth, we have Brighton sitting on 31 points ahead by goal differential. Again, uh, Wolves and Brighton is a huge game. Um, again, I had high hopes for this season. I thought this was going to be a, a certified Europa League team, like a five or six spot, maybe seven, some somewhere in that range. And they have not ex- uh, met those expectations, but I think they're right around where they're where they're supposed to be at. And I think that eighth spot, you said eighth place? Yep, yeah, 8th for Brighton. Yeah, I'd say you know 7th and 8th is probably where they'll most likely finish. Okay, and now we're moving in. I, I agree with you. I think that they're going to make Europa League, yeah. Europa Conference League if you guys don't. Yeah, they need Matoma back too badly. Mm-hmm. And now we're in our final two. Uh, we have Manchester United at 32 points um, in 7th. Yeah, um, <laughs> we have to see which United team comes out uh, because it's, it's all dependent on who they're playing and their play styles. Um, they've made a lot of offloading. They've done a lot of offloading this window, and they haven't brought anybody yet as of in yet, or brought anybody in as of yet. Um, I, honestly, I think they finished just outside the European spots this year. So? Well, they they're trying to make room so the new management group can make moves happen. I don't know if those moves involve Eric Ten Hag. I don't know what the plan is, but I just don't. They're too streaky for me. They've won 10, lost 9, and drew 2. I think their ceiling is 6. I don't think anybody, unless Villa drop a lot of points, I don't think anybody's touching the top 5 because there's like a 5-point gap, I believe, uh, between the 5th and 6th spot. So I don't think... Yes, any, sir, 5. Yeah, so unless... I don't think any of the other 4 teams... I think Villa's the one, if there was someone to slip up and drop back into the Europa League side, to be Villa... But I don't think anyone's touching those top five. So I think six through right where they're at. Because we're not going to cover Spurs in this. Yeah. But Spurs went toe-to-toe with them with 
nobody. And they played with, like, a very good starting 11, and they couldn't break down a no-name Spurs side. Yeah. And and to give credit to United, um, they are starting to uh, be a little bit more clinical in the final third. So we just have to see which confident, like what the type of confidence this team is coming out with on a week-to-week basis. Uh, I think it's good that they've been keeping McTominay out of the side. I feel like they've looked better performance-wise. But six and seven. Should they sell him? Nah, because he's 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 basically like you said, their soul scar. Where he is, uh, I'll say oh, old yeah. gunner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, he he's a, he's he's great in the final 15, 20 minutes of a game. It's just anything before that, I wouldn't play him. Well, we've seen my thoughts on them. I think they're right outside the seven or eight. Sevens are ceiling, eights are their floor. Because I, yeah. I think West Ham and Spurs are just going to outpace them. Unless I, something yeah. catastrophic happens to a Villa and Arsenal, um, they're not moving up. I think they get into Europa League. I think it's a six or seven spot, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Okay. And then the last one I wanted to cover, um, mm-hmm. we also gave them a lot of love today. West Ham at six. They have 35 points. Yeah, um, we need to see this team healthy again uh, because they did not look great uh, against Sheffield United, but a lot of teams have not looked great against the Blades of Wilder recently. Including the one we just covered, Manchester exactly. United. Exactly. So, um, yeah, West Ham has, a, has a, a very scary floor, but a good ceiling. So I think it's sixth through ninth. Uh, there is definitely a possibility where they may drop some points uh, through the rest of the season. I think the ceiling for them is fifth. The floor is tenth. Okay. Um, just because if something does happen to Villa and Spurs move up, they might be able to slip up in there. Or something happens to Spurs or Arsenal. They have to exceed expectations yeah. um, and, and play out of their minds uh, to get that fifth yes. spot, though. But for a team that was fighting relegation last year and won a European trophy, sold their best player and invested it correctly, I'm not. If I was a West Ham fan, I know a lot of them aren't happy with them from what I'm hearing. Um, I would be happy if I were them. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, if... if for as much flack as David Moyes gets from the general media for being a not a good manager, this, that, and the third, he's delivered in Europe, and he has delivered with getting these team results on a consistent basis. So you really can't ask for much more, and the, and the ownership group have done a great job as well. So um, That's my question for you, mate. I want to give a sneak peek to our friends. If you guys made it this far into the episode of what next week, I told Matt I had some ideas. Uh, so after we do an extensive uh, uh, recap of Brighton Wolves, we are going to do our Premier League team of the season so far. No memes, all seriousness, what okay. we think the best players of the season have been. And i got to do some homework on yes, this sir. one. That's why okay. I wanted to let you know now. Okay. Uh, so we're going to do a Premier League team of the season. Uh I think we should do a 4-3-3 formation, three midfielders, three wingers, or three attackers, and, and of course, four defenders. Okay. Um, But on that note, guys, uh, another great episode. Great football this weekend. Um, If you guys watch world football, keep it on the Bundesliga and the La Liga as well. Uh, But we've had a special episode. Matt, end it for us. All right. Live long and watch some football, lads. There's not a lot of it right now on the (laughs) Premier League, but there's a lot international. Have a great day and see you guys soon.